Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming in from the Cat Cave in Providence, Rhode Island. Today's guest, we have Mike Pace. You might remember him from a band called Oxford Collapse, or the podcast Worst Gig Ever. A, while, a little while back, we had his co-host Jeff Garlock on, and after that episode, I was like, I gotta get Mike Pace on here. I found Worst Gig Ever, and it was a fucking amazing podcast and a seven-episode web series. And it's great. They have comedians and musicians and sometimes people from the different worlds that we would never expect. Like you can listen to Freddie Madball or Julia Klausner or the uh, the actors of Pete, Pete and Pete. And my favorite episode might be Liberty DeVito, who is the drummer for Billy Joel. Just a fucking awesome podcast. It's still up. There's 100 episodes. I listened to about 20 or 30 of them. Go find it. It's wonderful. Uh, Mike was in a great band called Oxford Collapse, which I did not know about until I found the podcast. I've since went back and listened to them, and they're really fucking good. And uh, it was one of the most pleasant episodes I think I've ever made of this podcast with over the 100 episodes. Mike is so nice. He's funny. Uh, The sound quality on his end was just amazing, which I was blown away by. Uh, Just very charming. We have a great conversation. I mean, we just hit the we hit the ball running. He had listened to the show and Jeff was on. I think he knew what he was in for. There's no interview. It's literally we we started recording and we just fucking we don't even come for air. I had so much fun recording with this. Uh, Mike is now doing uh, his solo project, Mike Pace and the Child Actors. Uh, he is kind enough to let me use a song at the end. So we're gonna hear "Kiss and Fly" off uh, off the album "Best Boy." You could uh, check out uh, the website for that is MikePaceInTheTrialActors.com. Find Mike on Twitter, at MikePace. Just shoot him a tweet. Really fucking nice guy, and he'll probably respond because he was nice enough to talk to me. Um, I just had this idea today. I was like, maybe we'll get a little worse gig reunion uh, uh, episode going on one day. I'm not sure if that's uh, ever actually going to happen. But, hey, let's try it. I, uh, I, I should... By saying this on this episode, I will now have to commit myself to actually asking Jeff and Mike. Anyone, if you're a first-time listener as well, you can go back and hear Jeff Garlock, the co-host of Worst Gig Ever, and we will reference, I believe, Jonah Bear, who is a past guest, who's host uh, Going Off Track, and that's kind of how I found Worst Gig Ever. Make sure you find me on the old internets. This show is supported by The Misfits Network, uh, themisfitsnetwork.com. It's our wonderful podcast network. I'm on Twitter, Facebook. Um, Twitter is at Let's Chat Podcast, and I'm on all the podcatchers, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, everyone, all the all the good ones. All right, let's get to it. The opposite of a winner Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner Peace to broad jeans, Brucey B, Kid Capri Funk, Master Flex, Love, Bump, Star, Ski but first off, thank you very much for for asking me to do this. I um, I, I I checked out the episode that you did with Jeff, and I, I really got a kick out of it. Oh, and thanks. especially when you said, um, well, two things. You said I'm going to try to get Mike Pace for an upcoming episode, and then when you botched saying get home safe oh, at the I- end, and uh, <laughs> and the other thing that I noticed, um, you, you were talking about or Jeff was plugging his new band and you said oh great i'll i'll play a track at the end and then the episode just 
constantly like just ends yeah, with, um, with no song. I noticed that too. I never. That was got, awesome. Yeah. It, <laughs> I, I don't know if you ever had this when you had guests. Like you don't want to like bug people, but I was like, yeah. So like I, I asked Jeff for the track, and then I never. I think he probably just kind of forgot. <laughs> and then by the time he came around, I was like, oh, do I push? Yeah. Some people get kind of weird about that, and I was like, oh, I could just like you know download it illegally. But I was like, that'd of be course, kind of dick. yeah. Well, you and know, then, you, I, you, as you know, listening back through the worst gig episodes, you've noticed we actually never played any music by any of the bands, if only because at the time we really weren't sure what the deal with like copyright was, and not that we were thinking that, um, you know, th- that. Or maybe we were like, well, can we use, uh, you know, a Madball song just because Freddie said it was okay, but like, is Roadrunner right? You know, so so it was more a. Um, uh, as the episodes went on, we got a little bolder in terms of at least that little uh, segue music between our intro and the guest. I'd start using like real songs and I'd slow them down, or I'd do something weird with them. But a lot of those episodes are. Usually, usually me, but sometimes Jeff, we just make a little, you know, ten-second ditty in, uh, you know, Reason or Logic or one of those programs. So it was all of us actually music. know how to make music, which is uh, different than me. <laughs> all right, well, which makes know. much more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll take yeah. a little, do what you do what you can. I should go. I'll try to uh, have to go back and just steal one of Jeff's songs and throw it up there for him. I'm sure he will have he'll have no problem with that. That's so funny. You know, it's funny because I actually had um, I so I found I tell him Jeff. See, I don't remember. I don't know if you guys had this where it's completely like you record an episode and you have no idea what you say. <laughs> oh well, I mean, you know, I I think that outside of outside of the first one or two episodes. Um, yeah. That we listened to, that I listened back to just, you know, to get, make sure the levels, make sure everything sounded okay. After that, I never listened. Yeah. So when I, I, listened once it was to, done, it was done. Yeah. So I was like, I wonder what I said to Jeff. But I remember it being a very good conversation. But I remember I told him, like, um, so if I repeat myself, I apologize, but I was telling no, him that I found your show, Worst Gig Ever, completely by accident. I think mm-hmm. I was typing in. I was probably doing the thing where I was just typing in guests that I've had on to see what other podcasts sure, I've been on yeah. to stroke my own ego. <laughs> uh, of course, yeah, yeah. But or, that's it's a, it's such it's such an honest and um, sort of organic way of finding our show, as opposed to and and in a lot of ways that's sort of so much more satisfying than oh I I, I read about it on uh, this blog or this website. And then I checked it out, which is cool too. But if you, you just like essentially, you know, you accidentally oh, found yeah. the show, and then you get into it, and that's that's one of those kind of happenstance things that's um, that's a, a more exciting to me, I think. Oh, that's great! Yeah, I, I feel like that your show and uh, going off track, which was actually the show I was typing in because uh, yep. Stephen and Jonah were both had both been on here, so they're super cool dudes. Yes. And, and then I saw Worst Gig Ever, so because Jonah was on it, so I click it. I was like, oh, I'll check it out. And then I just looked through the list. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? The guys from <laughs> Pete and Pete and Freddie Madball have been on the same podcast? Well, you know, it's – yeah, it's 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 <laughs> a um, – I felt like we were providing – or we were filling a, a niche or void, if you will, um, just you know, a bridge between more or less my where Jeff and my interests overlapped and we felt like again coming from like a place of honesty like if we're enjoying this 
you know, there's got to be someone else who will who will dig it too. You know, it's it's the difference between doing something because you think someone, you know, you think someone's going to be into it versus I really enjoy this. This is what I'm about. This is the stuff that I like. And then other people like yourself eventually find it however they do. And that's the stuff that in anything that I've done creatively um, is is the stuff that that winds up being successful. If ever I tried to do something with the intention of being successful, it fails miserably, you know, as opposed to if I just do something that comes from a, a uh, an honest place, it, eventually, you know, people will find out about it. And it may not be a lot, a lot of people, but it's people that, that, that get into it, I think kind of for the right reasons, because it's a, you know, it's a shared mindset. And so that's a long-winded way of saying that Jeff and I wanted to talk to people that were involved in music and people that were involved in comedy because there's a shared experience there. And we had shared experiences there. Yeah, and really, it's fascinating sometimes when you talk to a comedian or a musician who is such a snob and only one of the topics. And like some oh, yeah. other, especially musicians talking about how people who like pop music are, not that this always happened on your show, but we all know these people who like go off about pop music and how they're superior for their taste, and then they turn around and put on, like, a Jeff Dunham album. <laughs> and you're like, huh. Yeah. Okay. I, I, you know, I, I think it's... Is I, he... Is yeah, he yeah, I yeah. actually don't know much about him. I just know he's probably one of the universally popular ones that I probably don't like. Yeah, I think he's... I think... Well, well the issue with comedy, you know, is that comedy casts a much wider net. So when I say that, I mean, like, there are people... Like, you may like Jeff Dunham and 30 million other people might like Jeff Dunham. Or even like, oh, you like Tim and Eric? Uh, that's cool. I like Tim and Eric. I like Tim and Eric. Everybody likes Tim and Eric, you know, of a certain kind of generational, um, uh, cultural, uh, you know, area. But I personally, you know, would feel more connected to someone who kind of likes the same music I do, if mm -hmm. only because my tastes have always run, um, you know, a little more niche or, you know, I, I hate to say obscure or I, or rather I'd say, you know, the underdog, you know, not the band underdog, but like the idea that I, you know, always rooting for the underdog in music and just more people like comedy, especially now. I mean, yeah, you know, well, I'm a, a Johnny come lately to that. I'm I'm <laughs> more near camp of uh, music, music, music. Yeah seen kid grown up and then uh, like the last five years found actually it's through po through podcast i found like my comedy niche well you know i was i was i was similar from from playing in in a band uh and playing music for essentially all of my 20s um and not having time to do anything else but always loving comedy and and thought i was a, a pretty funny guy and and it kind of coincided with you know uh podcasting it coincided with my band ending and podcasting sort of coming on the rise. So this is about 2010 for me and discovering uh, WTF or, you know, the Nerdist and listening to these guys talk about, you know, breaking down comedy to its to a granular level and me also having the time now to to get into that. Because before, I'd never had the time. I'd always wanted to try stand-up. I'd always wanted to try sketch writing. Uh, and all of a sudden, I found myself with the time, and I also found myself inspired by hearing um, funny people talk about their craft. 
so that sort of dovetailed into me giving that a shot for for a little while and that turned into the podcast which we did for a couple of years um and then that uh, eventually for me all led back to music because at the end of the day the thing that makes me happier and more satisfied and more content than anything that i can come back to at any point is music and it would be it uh, uh listening to it or writing it or talking about it i could do that all day long i i, I don't walk down the street most most of the time listening to comedy albums i'm listening to songs you know um but there are plenty of people and there are probably more people to a certain extent in in this the worlds that we're navigating um who are who are much more into comedy and that's cool too well your show like exemplified that because you kind of found that niche but then you'd get the like matt rubanos or the chris gethards that were like right down the middle like absolutely and those are the most those are well, I shouldn't say those are necessarily the most fun because I think particularly, you know, there, there was particularly for Jeff and I, there were certain guests that um, that was a weird way to start a sentence, particularly for Jeff. and I. for Jeff and I, there were a number of musical guests who were huge, you know, gets for us that we were super excited to talk to, you know, people that we had essentially idolized for years that we were able to to talk to one on one so that was that was really amazing and they, and they tended to be um, music centric people um but when you could get a funny person who knew what they were talking about when i say know what they were talking about understood quote unquote underground music understood you know um what the punk scene in the grand scheme of things meant there were uh, there were tons of guests that we had because it was split down the middle in terms of comedy versus music guests and one of the things that jeff and i always sort of bickered over i wanted to switch every other week one week's music guest the next week's comedy guest and jeff's like nobody's gonna notice nobody's gonna care and i was True. like well maybe that's probably the case but we did it anyway if only yeah. <laughs> so i could say well we we tried to we tried to flip-flop as much as possible if it wasn't a comedy guest maybe it was a pro wrestler or it was some other weirdo or whatever, but it always alternated with music. Um, but when you can get a funny person who, who kind of came from the same world that we did, um, you know, it was also really satisfying. Can I ask you about the uh, Freddie Madball was always so I'm 31, grew up in sure. Connecticut. Actually, I grew up the town next to Jeff, uh, yep. but years apart. And Madball has always been that band that's loomed pretty big and everyone's like seen, but yep. always just for being terrifying. Of course, yeah. I mean, like, I remember seeing them in Staten Island, my friend's band. I don't know if you ever knew of Folly. They played with them. And um, so I, I think I was probably hanging out after the show with my friends in the circle. And the guys from Mad Ball were there. there and they were, honestly, as sweet as could be. And I oh, was yeah. terrified. What was the <laughs> – Heyo? What's, I forgot it, names. Oh, oh, Hoya. Hoya? Hoya? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> or Heyo. <laughs> I just, like, I was standing next to him and was like, you could, and he was very nice. But it was just like, I've never been so intimidated by well, anyone besides uh, the Madball guys. Yeah, and that was, in a lot of respects, um, um, you know, that was a great episode. And that's that's one of the episodes that sort of gets talked about a lot because you have I these. I've never heard Freddie you know, Madball talk for an hour. No, and, and, and I. And so and, candid. It's candid and charming and polite and a wonderful person. And actually, Jonah is the is the guy who put us in touch. Ah. Uh, so yeah, so I we you know we had had of Jonah course. on the show and Jonah had had Freddie earlier on, maybe a year or two previously, 
And I was like, oh, if we can get Freddie Madball. And he's talking to these two dorky guys. Uh, th- there's there's going to be gold in there. And the funny thing about that was, is that, so I was emailing with him, um, and he was, he was very polite over email. He was calling me Michael, which is not, you know, my mother calls me Michael, and that's about it, you know. <laughs> but he's, I guess maybe my email signature, or whatever, said, said Michael. Um, yeah, but I, uh, I didn't call you Michael, and I'm not Freddie Madball. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, exactly. He can, he can call me whatever he wants. But we had scheduled it for, you know, I want to say uh, maybe a Thursday at 11 o'clock in the morning. At that time, uh, Jeff and I both had really flexible schedules, and we could do stuff during the week, which was, which was great. And so, Sent him my address. We'll see you, uh, you know, Friday at, at uh, Friday at eleven. He winds up emailing me the the morning of, and I, I check my phone first thing, and he says, you know, hey Michael, you know, do you mind if we do it an hour earlier? So I type him from my phone the response. I send it off. You know, I said that's fine. Well, he'll he'll come here earlier, whatever. So I start setting up. Somehow, for whatever reason, like the email never got sent. There was something wrong with the phone email. And he thought that I never responded to him. So he sent me a follow-up email saying, oh, that's, to- that's don't worry about it at all. I'll be there at 11. Totally cool. <laughs> and he shows up at 11 and he was all apologetic and, and you know, came out then. Oh, I wrote, I wrote you back. Oh, I didn't get it. Uh, you know, so – and then he left like a uh, his you know Poland spring bottle at the house after the the interview, and I tried to sell it to a friend of mine for two thousand dollars. So <laughs> you pulled you the uh, Mark Maron after he had Obama. Ex- <laughs> exactly, yeah, on a, on a, a smaller. He was your Obama scale. He, I, you, you could say that. He was. You could say Obama. that. He is the president of New York Hardcore. So. Yeah, and, Obama. and it was funny to hear about it, like his family and all that. It, I don't know, it just I yeah, I, I kind of like get a little bit of a addictive personality when I find a good podcast. I just I, I commute and I travel a ton for work, so there's something mm-hmm. about that's just like I can listen to two sometimes two a day easily. Oh and yeah, I, no, there's oh. something there, there. There's 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 there is something addictive about podcasts about listening to podcasts on the go, which I find myself doing occasionally. Yeah, um, uh, it's always. It's always driving or when I'm like doing the dishes. Sure, sure. But I, I had, I mean, I had some, some not serious questions, but there were things that I was really curious about. Like, where did he grow up? What was his adolescence like? You always see these photos of him singing for Agnostic Front when he's eight years old. Yeah. Like, what were his parents doing? Where was he sleeping? Did he go to school? Like, all of these things. And so I was just like legitimately curious because because there's this the, – the mythos of New York hardcore and you know running wild in the streets. The Lower East Side was a war zone. But these guys had to – you know these guys were teenagers and they were young teenagers, a lot of them. Like you know what was, what was the day-to-day like? Because there's, there's so much mythology and building up about things. But I kind of wanted to know about the mundane stuff like you know – you know, in, in his case, he wound up. He grew up in Florida. If I, I didn't remember. know that, I had no yeah, idea. He grew up in Florida. He'd come up to to visit his his half brother. Um, you know, who was living in New York, who was um, a number of years older, and just that stuff was fascinating to me. Um, and yeah, I got I got a real kick out of that episode. That was that was a lot of fun. 
I think Kua, uh, Jeff had a joke, which I'm going to slaughter, but it was like every oral history was is called uh, it was better before you got here. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, I forgot you know, how Jeff worded yeah. it much more eloquently, but like, yes, yeah. <laughs> Because he yeah, became that's... the scene, bef- maybe the scene for maybe like a generation and scene in Connecticut before I did, and I was like, oh man, I heard how great it was, and he's like, nope, yeah, nobody I, was there. I, yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think that there's a um, you know there's always a mythology yeah. built up after the fact, and oh, always, and, oh. and it, I mean, there's on one hand you can deflate it and say, yeah, it wasn't that bad, but for instance, you know, people will will talk to me about my old band occasionally and they somehow think that it was a lot bigger than it actually was and who am i to tell them that it actually wasn't you know let them believe you know let that legend grow you know if, if they if they want to believe that then that's fine so i think it depends on the situation of when you want to you know deflate it or when you just want to let it let it go but in freddie's case i really wanted to know like was he going to school like what was going on so speaking of like inflating, I do this uh, have I have this like nostalgic uh, view of a era of Long Island scene that I never was a part of. But mm-hmm. you grew up in said scene. <laughs> I, is it as good as I think it was? <laughs> but I mean, is, is this I, the same I, thing? I mean, I, I yeah. I hear. I mean, I've known people who are there, but being like, I mean, you had a story where like Eddie Ray's like shows up to your house to treat you how to play guitar. <laughs> like I mean, that's, that's kind of ridiculous in a good way <laughs> that's pretty insane so yeah huge. i well they are now but you know i i think jeff and i were the same age so we had a you know a similar kind of path uh parallel in our respective kind of you know punk and hardcore scenes like i got very into long island hardcore in about I, uh, probably about 1994 until I went to college in about 1997. Um, and this predates uh, a lot of the bands that wound up getting big, like the like the Taking Back Sundays or um, brand new. Like I was kind of out by that point. Um, but Eddie was who was probably 30 then, you know, had was kicking around in a bunch of other bands. He had this, he had this great band called Clockwise. Then he had a band after that called Inside. And they were um, like st- like straight down the, the, the middle, like the, you know, 90s, mid 90s emo in the purest sense of the word where it was, you know, emotional lyrics and singing over kind of chugga chugga guitar parts and with alternating with some U2 inspired delay guitar. Um, but it was on a very local level. So, you know, the big band at the time was vision of disorder or VOD who were, I think the first band who wound up getting like a, like a big record deal or big in our eyes as teenagers, um, before anyone else in the, by, by like 1990, um, six or seven VOD had signed with Roadrunner, I believe, who was like the big metal uh, hardcore label based on here. Biohazard was on uh, Roadrunner, Shelter, and then they, they wound up having some like uh, huge bands. Not Creed, but I, there's stuff in that vein. So anyway, so VOD were like straight up like what you would think of Long Island, Tough Guy, um, Shows were, you know, just brutal, violent, enormous mosh pits, but they were amazing, you know. So they were eating, you know, they were what I thought of as like the best elements of um, almost like a Pantera, but mm. with the coolness 
of being like a local Long Island hardcore band. Um, so VOD were awesome. Their first seven inch, which is called Still, is still great. Um, Silent Majority were another one of the other very big bands at the time who were awesome. Uh, who were sort of, I always sort of compared them to an, an Avail, uh, who were one of my absolute favorite bands um, at that time from, you know, uh, from Virginia. But Silent Majority had that kind of posy, um, uh, you know, uplifting, still with the halftime, still with the chugga chugga. Um, and these were just the guys that were, you know, the kings of the scene at the time. I think Silent Majority wound up, uh, they, I think they signed with Initial Records a few years later, and then they became yeah. another band, and they actually started touring around. But for a long time, for those like, you know, my my um, sophomore, junior, and senior year of, of high school, it was kind of like going to shows, you know, every weekend or every other weekend and seeing a lot of the same bands playing and then getting to see really cool touring bands that sort of, you know, that's the stuff that I, that I started, you know, when I, I mentioned earlier about like kind of the underdog mentality, like it was awesome to see VOD or Silent Majority or whatever, but these were usually big shows and there were probably, you know, uh, a thousand kids there, if not more. So they weren't exactly the underdogs, you know, but then you'd get, a show where a band from uh, Seattle, or I don't know if they were from Seattle, from Washington State, called Nine Iron Spitfire, who later went on, I think the bass player of that band um, wound up playing bass in uh, Blood Brothers a oh, couple shit. of years later, uh, or a band like Botch. You know, and you had these bands come through and they dressed differently. They wore like much tighter clothes. They had, you know, cooler haircuts. And that's all superficial stuff. But when you're a teenager, oh, like that's, that's awesome, you know, because everybody else is wearing sort of Jinkos and, you know, or, you know, a puka shell necklaces or whatever. Um, <laughs> and then you're seeing this whole other side and you buy the seven inch and you're like, oh, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be my band for a little while. Because also at the time, remember, you know, internet culture is nowhere near what it became now. So you had like, you know, alt.music.hardcore and AOL chat rooms and stuff like that. But you couldn't, you know, you weren't listening to music on the internet. Uh, stuff was still very regionalized. You know, so you did have that Long Island scene, which was different from the Connecticut scene, which was different from the New Jersey kind of pop punk scene. And all of this stuff has sort of melded together, you know, as the internet became what it what it was so i can tell you that like i saw a lot of great bands like there was some there were some great shows but honestly i always felt as you know a lot of people talk about finding like the punk scene or the hardcore scene into their refuge they hated high school and they finally like found all these kids they can connect with like i had friends in high school all my group of friends you know there were five or six of us all liked all this stuff so we'd all go to shows together you know, and we never, you know, we connected with a couple of people, you know, in the scene. And, and you know, we had our own band at one point in time um, and would play shows here and there. But I, I felt kind of just as judged by by people in the Long Island hardcore scene as I did in high school, because you're talking about teenagers and teenagers judge people, <laughs> you know, so. It, it never truly felt like, oh, you know, I felt like this is awesome. This is really cool. I feel comfortable here. But it wasn't like I was buds with the guys in Silent Majority who would probably just look at me as some like, 
you know, 15-year-old putts, you know, who was from like an upper middle class suburb when they were from, you know, just the middle class suburb. So there's always that level of kind of weird psychoanalysis that I, I had or overanalysis going on. So it wasn't all for roses. everyone, though. It did, it did. You find the scene and it's great. And then ultimately it turns into high school. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and you get what you get out of it. Yeah. And it definitely shapes your personality. But in my case and, and, you know, in Jeff's case, it was a little different because he was touring with his band Orchid when he was in college. And when I started college, I didn't I, I, I didn't have a band for a few years, but I fell in with a group of uh, of friends who were into like way cooler music, I thought. So, you know, when I was about 20, and I think a lot of people go through this phase, you go through an incredibly pretentious music phase. So I got into, at the time, this was about the year, this is like 1998, 99. So a lot of stuff on the Thrill Jockey label was very cool. Tortoise, a lot of jazz, you know, infused, quote unquote, post-rock, very serious, chin-stroking stuff, you know. Um, and ironically, a few years before the strokes kind of made rock and roll fun. So when I found all of this cool to me, you know, difficult post-rock or, you know, indie rock or, you know, weird old records from like the 70s, then like that's what I kind of became. That's what I was into. And then all of the punk stuff was kind of like, ah, yeah, that was that was cute when I did that. And, I, and you know, I grew out of that pretentious phase, hopefully. <laughs> um, uh, and, and then I realized, like, it's all great stuff, you know. And so now, you know, I'll I'll listen to almost all of it uh, still. But it's it's, you know, I think the scene specifically, like the hardcore scene, I mean, it is a phase for a lot of people. And you pick up a lot of things from it. But, you know, at a certain point. You grow up to a certain extent and other things become more important and the music sort of takes a back seat and going to see shows takes a back seat and then eventually people get married, have kids and your life's over. What uh, what are your go back to like albums or bands from that era of uh, for your music from like the in your teens and 20s? So, I mean, the stuff that I the stuff that I, I, I come back to, I'm like, man, this actually this age really well might. One of my all-time favorite bands in high school was Rocket from the Crypt. Yeah. Uh, who, 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 and now Rocket from the Crypt started off as like a very noisy but still melodic, weird, you know, like seven-piece band that had a horn section, but they were not a ska band, you know. So, and when I was very young, when I was in like middle school, um, Graceland by Paul Simon was my favorite album. You can call me out, which has these great horns on it. And then um, Dude Looks Like a Lady by Aerosmith also had horns on it. So I really liked horn rock. So naturally, when I when I wound up going through, you know, my ska and ska punk phase, like that's that's why it appealed to me. So my favorite bands in high school, like outside of the 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 hardcore stuff, which was which was kind of local. I mean, you know, uh Rocket from the Crypt were from San Diego, so they were like a real band. The Mighty Mighty Boss Tones were a real band. Yeah. And Don't Know How to Party was was kind of the record that did it for me when I first heard it in um, – I was in about eighth or ninth grade when that record – that was 1993. I was in ninth grade. Um, and that, that record for me, it still sounds great. I think like the production on that record is phenomenal. And every once in a while, I'll find myself, you know, someday I suppose will come on a playlist or in shuffle, be like, this song is great. 
But um, Rock of the Crypt, to me, wound up becoming a little schmaltzy, a little, uh, you know, when they adopted sort of the uniforms and it became sort of a Vegasy show act. And, and that stuff was less interesting to me. Some of their earlier stuff um, still holds up. And I'll tell you, you know, the, the band that I actually will come back to, particularly in the summer, um, and I'm just like, this band took pop punk to its logical conclusion. It will not get better than this. And that band is Blink-182. And I'll I'll, I'll be honest with you. I will go up to um, uh, the record, maybe take off your pants and jacket. Uh, After that, that I lose them, uh, or they lost me. But um, just to show my my age a little bit, I picked up their their first real record, which is Cheshire Cat, back when they were still called Blink, before adding the 182. Yeah. 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 So I got that uh, that record and I was they were going to play at this club called the Wetlands, which is sadly no longer around. But on 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 Jeff's episode of the show, he talks about seeing Rancid Avail and the Queers. And I saw that tour. Two, they played the Wetlands. It was a Sunday matinee, and after the show ended, H2O played what was their first show. Oh my which god! At the time was like ten, uh, maybe it was ten minutes. They played after Rancid played. Um, Jesus. So, so that's that. That's just one for the books. But the Wetlands used to have great kind of New York hardcore matinees, and I, I saw a lot of great shows there. Bands like um, 108. And uh, I know Jeff mentioned Bloodlet. I saw Bloodlet there too. But Blink 182, or Blink as they were known at the time, were going to be playing a show at the Wetlands with like eight other bands on a Sunday, including Screw 32, who I also liked at the time. And a bunch of my friends and I, we go into the city, we're psyched to see the show, and we walk up to the Wetlands and we see that Blink has canceled. <gasps> and. Their name was just crossed off the list of, you know, like eight bands playing with the times. So we wound up going to the show anyway, had a good time. Uh, but I I never got to see them. And that would have been the original lineup um, playing songs off that that first record, which would have been great. I did wind up seeing them at the second Warp Tour, which was the only one that I ever went to. Um, and by that point, being a little uh, dismissive. But I still come back to those records, which are immaculately produced. Not necessarily the first one, but um, the second. Dude, Dude Ranch, I think, is uh, their right, yeah. best the, album. The, the, the lyrics are are ridiculous. You know, you know, yeah. you know. They're 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 they are what they are. I'm not listening to it for the lyrics for sure, but the melodies that um, Tom Delange comes up with yeah. is what well, I am not into his voice. Actually, I'm, I'm more into. The, and now you won't have to be. Yeah, that's right. That's you right. You can hear I mean, Matt Skiba do it. He, he's, he's. A, see, that's actually a band that I never. That was, that was after my time. What's his band called again? Alkaline Trio. Uh, yeah, that was by that when when that band sort of came about. I was kind of done with with uh, you know kind of pop punk. That was all that stuff was happening alongside the the hardcore stuff like the Epitaph, Fat Record stuff like 1994, 95, 96. Any record that came out on Fat. Epitaph, Victory, um, you know, between Jeff and myself, we probably had a copy of it. Uh, so, yeah, good times. Alkaline is worth going back to if you find, like, the – especially now, go go find the stuff that, like, um, I think it's, like, Good Morning. There's a few albums. It's definitely worth 
dive in, go find a nice like Spotify playlist of Alkaline Trio, uh-huh. and you really really dig into some melodies and the. They're like more okay. of a darker blink, I would yeah. say. I mean, I love them. Uh, I, I came to them late. I mean, I'm also a fellow Blink-182 fanatic. Uh, I did. <laughs> I, I fell off for the live album and Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, and then kind of refound them on uh, the self-titled one. Well, you know what? I mean, I, let's be honest. By the time I, I had the live album to review for a website because I used to write uh, record reviews for a while. And even by then, I was a little too old. You know, I was yeah. solidly in like I was a sophomore in college, but the live record um, has uh, "Man Overboard" on it, which is yeah, the one I studio was... track, which is which is still which is actually one of the songs I had been coming back to. Yeah, uh, uh, I was in my pretentious uh, music. By that time well, that they... came out, I was pretentious about it because <laughs> I actually yeah. had Dude Ranch, and when I was in the eighth grade, because yeah. I was in the CD club. Oh, of course. Well, I mean, you know, I have stories about Columbia. Yeah. Oh, you know, you get screwed BMG, horribly, horribly. But somehow I ended up with Dude Ranch and my whole middle school was listening to this is the year that ska gets big, which I still love ska. But uh, uh, my middle school was uh, very urban. So hip hop was huge. So I was really into rap at this time. And I found Blink-182 and everyone else found Green Day. And I was like, fuck this. I'm going to hitch the bandwagon <laughs> to Dude Ranch. And I was wrong. Yeah, no, but it's 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 it, you know, it's the thing about. The thing about Blink, and this is what I learned in in my own recording, is that those records sound great because they tracked multiple guitar, you know, so there's like any, I'm sure there's five, six, seven guitar tracks, if not more, to really fill out the sound. But the problem is, is that they were only a three piece live. (laughs) So it always sounded thin and weak because... You know, he's playing, there's one track that's power chords, kind of, you know, doubling the bass, and then there's a melody over that. And it gives the, 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 um, the, the, the recorded versions a real thick, full sound. And my thinking is, they never wanted to hire another guitar player to flesh out the, the songs, because then they'd have to pay someone. And mm-hmm. Blink come from, they're, they're, they're not the Fugazi school of punk rock, right? Like, no. they're definitely like, you know, and and those guys made a ton of money, and I guess they. And look, I could be completely wrong about this, but a couple of months ago, I was like, "What's the deal with angels and airwaves? This thing looks so misguided." I have to do some research into this. And what's amazing about angels and airwaves is that it ties both Blink and, and Rock Madball. and Trip the Crypt together. Yep. And Madball. What, was there somebody from Madball playing? Wasn't that someone from Hazen Street? Who was also in Madball for a time without? Well, right? Am I okay. right? I might be wrong. I I I, I actually don't want to know that because then I think that someone from Hazen had... Street was in uh, Angels. All I know about Hazen Street is that a good Charlotte offshoot. Oh, I don't know about Maybe? that. I I, I I I I have to draw the line at a certain point, Chris. You know, but, no, no, I'm not. Uh... I, I wasn't a good charlatan. <laughs> but um, uh, oh God, that's what they called their fans. I just got it. But anyway, so I, I, I was laughing at myself. I'm like, I wonder if anyone's ever said that before. Oh, I, I, I hope so. But, but I did no, some I did research. Like what? Well, one of my favorite things to do because I'm still, I, I'm sort of, um, I'm a voracious record collector, and I go out and I, but I, you know, I scour the bargain bins. I usually, I usually pay no more than five dollars for a record. One of my favorite things to do is to buy a stack of records somewhere, go home, put them on, and then 
read about it while I'm listening to it. You know, I'll, you know, you read the liner notes, you look at the cover art, what what have you, and then I'll just kind of read read about the record, re, you know, kind of absorb it, get the history of it. So I was doing this with Angels and Airwaves. I did not go out and buy any of the records. I just put some YouTube videos on, and they're awful. Um, and they're as bloated and pretentious and misguided and identity crisis i need to be taken seriously now as you think it is um and meanwhile they put out five albums yeah so (laughs) this is this is what i'm missing but this is what i love about this is what i love about music this is what it comes back to like this is like i wouldn't necessarily do this with comedy records like yeah I'll, i'll listen to Patton oswald's records every once in a while but um i do not get the same unadulterated uh enjoyment that I do out of absorbing music. No, it's a very different experience. I mean, that's why like um, people like you and I will like geek out over like slapstick because like every <laughs> member of that went on to be in something else or like <laughs> Spring Hill Jack. And then it's like, but I don't do that with comedians. I, I'm not like, oh yeah, this sketch group, every like, oh, human giant all turned into these people. Yeah. I was like, yeah, well, that's like, cool. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, it, no, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't hold the same interest. I don't know me. what it is. It's a, I, but, uh, I I feel like I do that a lot. Angels and Airwave, really. I like that one song a lot. Terrible I, everything else. I can't tell you. I couldn't tell you the name of one of their songs. I couldn't tell you the and name then, of the album. Plus 44 was also terrible. <laughs> Blink 182 is this weird thing where they're not that good, but yet I well, love I, them. Well, I think what it is is that, again, when I say like the logical – like this is as far as pop punk could go. And maybe some, can, some band will prove me wrong, and that would be great. And I'm sure they're – there so you don't do like the New Pong Glory or the No 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 that's that's after my time. So like, that's, that's my time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's but they're still they're still around and kicking. Yeah, I that 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 it just doesn't interest me at all. Um when it gets I, winter I, time, you don't listen like, so when I did this winter <laughs> I did uh I decided to listen to but nothing but SoCal pop punk from the nine late nineties, early two okay. thousands. A lot of slick shoes and like <laughs> it was yeah. wonderful. Yeah, that stuff for me like again. No man, I, I I'm out of that I'm out of that whole era. That's by ninety seven at the least. But I do oh. want to mention you mentioned slapstick before. I saw slapstick play on Long Island actually. Oh man! At the Huntington YMCA, thought they were great. Bought their CD. I guess I guess they probably put out one record. Colorado, I believe it's called. Do you still uh, have it? I. I do still have the CD is still at my mom's place, and I do have a couple of songs on the iPod. Um, I think Colorado was the name of one of the songs, and and a record that's really raw and messy and noisy. And there were certain tracks in that that I still that that are like that I've heard within the past two years. I'm like, all right, this still gets a pass. And then what was the other band that you mentioned? I had another story. Spring Hill Jack. So Spring Hill Jack. Um, I didn't necessarily. I wasn't too familiar with at the time, but um, one of the guys from Spring Hill Jack, and I'm blanking on his name, wound up becoming the manager of a place in New Haven, Connecticut called Bar, B-A-R. Oh, I love uh, Bar. At, yeah. So, yeah, friend, I, know, uh, uh, I know the guy, one of the people who book shows there now. What's uh, it's, he's, it? Was he the guy from Spring Hill Jack? No, no. Uh, Mark from Manic Productions. Oh, oh, I, I heard you talk about this with Jeff. No, yeah, so, yeah. I'm blanking on his name. He was a really, really sweet guy, and he booked my band Oxford Collapse multiple times at bar. And um, good and pizza I really there, by the way. Him. 
Yeah, anyone well, listening? Phenomenal pizza. I'm phenomenal gonna quote my pizza. pace. <laughs> for the listener. <laughs> for the <laughs> exactly. I told but you I listened I, to a bunch of your episodes. You 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 definitely have. Their mashed I, but, potato pizza is surprisingly delicious. Well, and, uh, that one I'll leave to you. I'm more of a I'm more of a purist yes, when it comes to my. But what you should do style. if you're at bar, if anyone's listening to New Haven, you walk out of bar, you walk across the street, and you go to Louis's lunch, and you get the original. Oh hamburger. yeah, the well, they're steamed cheeseburgers, Steam. and oh, that's and that's actually where I'm from, the steamed cheeseburger. Well, my um, That's so the, drum, the drummer in Oxford Collapse, whose name is Dan Featherston, is from Manchester, Connecticut, originally. Oh, um, does so he that's know the my scene, like those cats. You know what? I that I don't know. He's 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 my age as well. We went yeah, to college like a together. Bit before. Um, so I'm trying to remember who the band. He he was just sending me uh, a video of a band from 1996 from Connecticut that he used to go see because he's also we, you know the guys in my band were also you know in that world. Yes, which we have to get to your band as well. Don't I'm not ignoring it. I just, <laughs> no, no, no. Of course, I, but, just, but we, I go off track very easily. We were we were. Um, we were, I, I don't want to say foodies, but, you know, the idea was that if we were in a place like New Haven, yeah. you got to get this or you got to get that. And so we, we always ate regionally. So you had, a, you've had a steamed cheeseburger once referenced oh my in the God, episode yeah. of The Simpsons. Yeah, I've had, I've had, I've had a steamed cheeseburger more than once. That's my hometown. Because, uh, uh, it's, it's phenomenal. I went phenomenal. to a middle school literally down the street from Ted's. And uh, I think my next door neighbor now owns one of them in, in uh, Cromwell. But look at that. Steam cheeseburger was in Meriden, and then Louis <laughs> is the oh, yeah. birthplace of the hamburger. That is, uh, I yeah, I'm 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 a big fan of both. Are you still a foodie? Because I found like I lost my love of punk rock for a little while, and it turned <laughs> into like comedy and restaurants. Yeah, well, I'm I would I would never class myself myself as a foodie, but I do absolutely I love to eat and I love to go to places to eat, but I don't care about new restaurants or you know the hot thing or the cronut or whatever people are yeah. talking about. I want to find like what's the most amazing hole in the wall dumpling place? Yes, in yes. Flushing to get amazing dumplings or where's where's a great and where's a great burger truck way out in Brooklyn. You Are you know, still in but, New York? You're still in New York? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still uh, – Jeff and I live um, a few blocks away from one another in Greenpoint. I'm, I'm speaking to you now on the very couch in my – the very position I am I was when I did my uh, my podcast. So oh, this for me is kind of a, uh, a trip because <laughs> <So if laughs> I, thankfully I only had to set up one microphone this time. Yes. If Jeff is listening, this might be a little too weird for him. So you guys can go do the girls tour now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, I, I, I do my research when guests come on. <laughs> That's great. That's great. You, well, you, you know, I, I, I feel like um, I don't ever plan to see a dime for this and don't nor want to. So I only want to ask on people that I feel like I'm going to have a nice conversation with because at it's all about Again, this part, you know. Honest, honest. Yeah, because I don't care about downloads. Like that doesn't matter to me. I mean, it's cool. I hit a point where I'm like, oh, cool, and then everything after that's like, ah. It's all about the the hour. That's really the most important part. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad you don't care about downloads because <laughs> you ain't getting any for this episode. I'll tell you. Oh, yeah, I don't know. No, Jeff no, no, no. Jeff did good for himself. I will. Um, I will. Uh, I'll spread the word. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Oh, so you guys are in Brooklyn. So how did um the Oxford collapse come to be? And um, uh, which I'm kind of apologetic that I somehow was around music that time and it somehow uh, escaped me. And I well, <laughs> you wouldn't be the only one. <laughs> I went back and had listened, and you guys were incredible. 
Oh, well, thank you. Thanks a lot. I was listening to, well, I sadly, you won't see any money because it was Spotify. I'm sorry. <laughs> you might get no, a no, look, this is, this is the, this is, this is the way of the world these days. So the, well, no, the, it's the, always been the way for you musicians. You always, pretty, get well, pretty much, over. you know, we, we, we got in at the tail. We started making records at the tail. At and, the worst possible time. Yeah. 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 Hey, so, how about you uh, sign this terrible th- deal and then no money? Yeah, pretty much. Or just like, here's a deal, and you'll you know it wasn't necessarily a terrible deal, but nobody's gonna buy your record. Yeah. Like I had a cousin who's uh, much older than I am, and she was doing music before my way before me. But I think she she was the one who gave me Nirvana's Bleach, and I was like, because huh, I was you know. <laughs> She's like, well, yeah, we and, just played with this band in uh in um where were they Olympia? She was in a band called Unwound. Yeah, I, I love Unwound. Unwound. Oh really? Awesome. Oh my God! Uh, new plastic ideas yeah. uh, was yeah, like Jeff, that's people like you and Jeff know who they are. Well, Unwound were one of those bands that I discovered in college from my like awesome friends who were like, "Stop listening to uh, you know whatever the hell it would be, um, you know, no use for a name, and check out this band." And I was oh, like, okay. "So Sarah is my co- she's the drummer." I heard that on the show, and that that's She's a awesome because awesome drummer. Yeah, uh, um, unwound. The future of what is another amazing. Those are the records that I really gravitated towards. But even that last one, leaves turn turn you inside out. I think it was called or something something like that. It's a phenomenal record. They're a great band. I've seen them a couple of times too. She's the one that turned me on to ska because she came through on a tour, and I think my aunt must have told her I like ska. But at this point, I was in the third wave ska. <laughs> uh-huh like you know like everyone else was so she gave me like uh toots and the meta like oh yeah complete yeah. ska like collection of like first 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 thing and i had recently saw her she was doing a tour with um what was she doing hungry ghost her band and uh-huh. um they just came through here and i reminded her of that and she seemed to have no idea but that's okay, <laughs> that's okay. Ha- having the older cousin you know um that's crucial man or you know the older yeah. brother or the friend or whatever we is, always uh, lived uh, far away so we didn't see each other a whole ton but it was always like oh your cousin's on tour i was like well, that's cool and then i found <laughs> music after she was over i was like oh I was like, oh, I guess I should have gone to go see you in Slater Kenny when I was like 13. Yeah. <laughs> or Sonic Youth or any of these amazing bands. Of course. I should... Of course. That's Oops. what happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. That might have been my parents not wanting to bring me. Hey, maybe the age gap was just a little too much. Yeah, I think I remember my parents might have gone to see them in Boston or New York or something. Yeah. I, I don't know if they're uh, – do you remember what your parents thought? Of Unwound? Yeah. <laughs> I can't necessarily see You that. know, you would see, be... Most people are surprised. My dad is a music purist. He, to this day, now, currently, as a 60-plus-year-old man, has a college folk radio station show still. Really? Um, oh, that's amazing. So I don't, I'm that's sure he, they didn't love Unwound, but they, my, and my mom, my mom loves pop music, and my dad loves folk music. So they were like, I think they were just happy when I wasn't listening to Top 40. I, I, I may have to come over because that's like my – I'm right between those two, honestly, in my personal taste. Yeah. I'll, I'll, what is it? Uh, Acoustic Blender on WESU, Middletown. Okay. Yeah, okay, it was. Cool. Uh, yeah, he's uh, – I, I describe my dad and I, our taste. Uh, Frank Turner, if you put a, vine, a Venn diagram, is like where we kind of meet. We oh, both love go. Frank – I mean, my mom. We listen to Frank Turner together all the time. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love I, – as I got older, I kind of really appreciate how much my parents loved music. Yeah, and showed me that because like my wife's family, they only listen to like musicals and movie scores. Like yeah, they just yeah. don't listen to music the way that we did growing up. I was like, yeah, I I had a so, sort of so, my 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 parents were my dad absolutely loved 
uh, oldies, especially you know like doo wop stuff, and I oh, I, I, I absorbed well. a lot of that from us. I loved it as a as a little kid, and then I hated it, but secretly loved it. And now I'm just like it's awesome. And I think that a lot of it, I mean, obviously you can. That's what pop punk is, you know, like uh, it really, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I think that's why I connected with that stuff when I did at the time. But I think you know, um, in my own music that I make. A lot of that early melody, you know, those kind of simple, incredibly catchy melodies I absorbed from doo-wop. Um, and, you know, but we never – it was it was only until later that we had like a cassette player in the car. So it was always the radio in the car. Yep. And my parents didn't really have a lot of records. Um, the one record I remember my mom absolutely loved was Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell. Hey, that's when, still but, an amazing record. And it is an amazing record, but at, I remember growing up, and you know, you see the cover art to that oh, album, and it looks like a Judas Priest record or something. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was always like, what is meat? You know, before not even realizing, because I was into like the WWF wrestling album mm. and, you know, uh, um, you know, Disney and Sesame Street records, but I'd see this Meatloaf record. I'm like, what is this? Um, and I think it maybe in, in in my family it was it's my parents like they loved their music but weren't the voracious kind of record store you know got to buy you know records got to own yeah. the tactile object that I became um, so who knows maybe my kid will uh, that meatloaf album man. Uh, but we yeah, had that man. too. I remember listening to that too, and that that yeah. long, long piano that come in. I was just listening to Meatloaf the other night. He, he was gonna, he's playing around here, and it sold out. And I like, <laughs> I actually wanted to go. I think. Look, I don't know. Maybe I did. I didn't, if you if you look up on YouTube, there's um there's video of him singing like the national anthem from yeah, a couple weeks so ago well. or something. And it did not go so well. So I don't. I can't vouch for his live show. Now. Yeah, I don't but, know about anymore. So in ninth grade. Was when Bat Out of Hell, Bat Out of Hell Two, came out. Ugh. Of course, I will do anything but for love, but yes. I won't do that. Remember that video on uh, VH1? Of course, of course. So, in ninth grade was right before I started going to shows. But when that Meatloaf tour came through New York, my mom went to the show. I think it was at Webster Hall or something. I think it was at a fairly small venue. Oh, Irving man. And she got a shirt. From the show, which I then wore to school the next day. Um, <laughs> then the following year, my sophomore year is when I started going to shows um, in the city and seeing, you know, touring bands. And that's where it really kind of started accelerating. But um, you, if you go far enough back, we all like I mean, for me, it was like Alvin, the Chipmunks tapes. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is all that stuff. Do, but, you, um, have, do you listen to the podcast at all? Wash up emo. No, I've actually never heard of it. Uh, well, first off, Wash Up Emo is an amazing blog, podcast. Um, it's all about defending emo, but he has an episode with Frank Turner and um, Tom, who's been on here, so that's why I, uh, and uh, Frank talk about how they both kind of found their love of uh, punk through new metal. And I didn't kind of realize that Oops, I yeah. totally made friends with those kids in high school, started off with new metal, and then found good music. Yeah, well, I mean, I like that for me was, you know, a time when I was when I was getting to college. So that was when I was going to my pretentious phase. So I immediately kind of looked down on all that stuff. Having said that, the first Corn album actually came out in like 1994. Oh, that's a great album. And my my buddies like in high school had that record when they were still kind of like a, a, an alternative band, yeah. pre new metal. And I remember my friend Kenny playing me. 
that album or select songs. You got to hear the song. It's so amazing. And I never really got on that train, but I could recognize that like there was a point, believe it or not, when that stuff actually had a, a tinge of legitimacy as like an underground not really underground. It was like the first Rage Against the Machine record, you know, came out and was just around for a while before. Is that Evil Empire started, or is that no the, the one? But it's self-titled with the guy it's, in it's, fire. Yeah, but it's it's the idea that like at yeah. a time, you know, this, this also happened with Appetite for Destruction, the guns, the first Guns N' Roses record. It came out. It was out for a year, not really doing a whole lot of business, and then after a year, the Welcome to the Jungle video happened. So. What it, what I'm talking about is a, is kind of the way the record industry used to be, where you could ha- you could work a record and like give it time to marinate and yeah. find its audience. And I think that a lot of those um, those quote unquote new metal bands like Rage Against the Machine or Corn, and Rage Against the Machine started off as a straight edge hardcore. You know, Zach's at, was in uh, Inside Out, who were a straight edge hardcore band. So like, are they considered new metal? I, I mean, I think that they transcended that because they had smart, in quote, lyrics. But I always lumped Rage, Limp Bizkit, Corn in the same essential, you know. There was heavy guitars with, like, kind of rapping on top of it. Yeah. Uh, you know. First uh, Limp Bizkit album's good. I said that out loud. <laughs> you know what's weird? I, I, I still kind of go back and I'll listen to the uh, Head Planet Earth, Head PE album, and I oh. still love it. There, there's another band. Like that was not a band I was into. I was aware of all this stuff because yeah, I would I, get I, really high and listen to that. Well, then look, you got, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But I, it would be like I, that I, and like some 41. So I don't know what to say about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, uh, hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I think about 15 minutes ago, you asked me how my band had come about. Oh yes, yeah, so that's <laughs> so uh, Oxford <laughs> Collapse, which I to meant to bring to it me- full circle. <laughs> yes. That's but just a sidebar. That's one of my favorite parts of your show is when you would do for the listener. <laughs> well, look, you know, I it think... actually was very helpful because but most times I knew what you guys were talking about. But you and Jeff would have this obscure knowledge. Even like someone like me who thought I could keep up with you. I'm like, no, I guys, I, I don't know what you're talking about anymore. You know what? I think that one of the things that I was always aware of is and I think I just I find myself to be hyper um Maybe hyper is a little strong word, but I'm always aware of how other people in the room are feeling. So oh, I know hypersensitive. that hypersensitive, I guess. Yes. Say, yeah. So so, you know, I know that Jeff and I could sit in a room together and talk about, you know, um, new age prog jazz fusion records for a day or three and and never come up for air because we can entertain ourselves. But I I know that that would be. It's also going to be alienating to someone that doesn't – that's not in it as deep as we are. So that's where For the Listener came from because I thought it would be sort of obnoxious if we – I always found it obnoxious if you're talking to someone and they reference something as if you know what they're talking about. But you really don't and you kind of nod and say, oh, yeah, yeah but you don't know. So, so I always want people – if I'm having a conversation with them and in the podcast we were having a conversation and then there were X number of people listening to at least be able to follow the conversation, you know, rather than hearing a bunch of assholes talk about bands you've never heard of. And I'm, I'm saying this in a loving way, you know, um, because, I, you know, I'll, I'll catch myself doing it as well. 
but I think it's it's always better to to be including you know inclusionary if that's a word as opposed to exclusionary, right? So you want people to to be able to follow the conversation as much as possible, you know. So that that's that's kind of where for the listener came from, and then I just made it an obnoxious thing <laughs> where I just interrupt people and say that. And but I think it's, it's uh, good. I have what you could call good interviewing skills where you bring up the thing the person was most known for an hour in <laughs> instead of Well, a look, I, one. I, at this point, I don't even want to answer the question because <laughs> I like all the tangents. And, and the reality is, is that, you know, anyone with half a brain can. And this is no disrespect to your question, but it's they could cool. figure Yeah, you know, they could read up on it. Like, you know, that's why well, I like podcasts, because it's not a stupid fucking interview where it's just. Pre pre uh, pre thought out questions and answers on both parties. Well, this is what you were talking about earlier. You know, you're you're not beholden to anyone. You know, yeah. the, the, that was that's what I loved about about podcasting. Um, you know, in the time that we did it was that, yeah, and we did have one sponsor at one point in time, who who was um uh our head the headphone company who or earbud company that sponsored us, um, who I think made about four dollars. <laughs> off of off of the promo code worst, um, but you could do a deep dive conversation. You could get inside baseball without having to gloss over things. Having said that, you do want to include people in the conversation. Um, so I don't want to just go off on Constantine, you know, Sankathy, or you know, you know, one obscure late 90 or early 90s San Diego screamo band or something <laughs> just because, you know, like, you know, you want to give people a frame of reference. So for the listener, Constantine uh, Sankathy were a uh, early 90s San Diego emotional hardcore band who probably put out three seven inches on gravity. There you go. Do you think any <laughs> of them do you ever do you, do you read the hard times at all? I'll glance at it occasionally. Um, oh, I, you funny. know, yeah, yeah. It's 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 Oof, it gets it's, you sometimes. It, it's nice that um, we've gotten to a point where you can recognize the ridiculousness or the absurdity of a lot of stuff within punk music or hardcore, which are you know for the longest times have overwhelmingly kind of taken themselves seriously. Um, you know, and or it's either they take themselves seriously or they're a novelty joke band and and my saying is always keep your comedy out of my music you know <laughs> it'd be the funniest guy in the world no offense weird al you know uh who i uh, will always have a soft spot for but like i'm not interested like the vandals or someone where it's like you, you, diarrhea okay <laughs> like uh, it, it's funny but i'm not i, I don't want to listen to funny punk rock you know um so it's you know at where this do you stand on mo burnham I only know him as a um, as a comic. Uh, he plays the piano, maybe. Yeah, I mean, he's talk about dismissive. Oh, yeah, he's the guy. He's a comic. He plays the piano, right? <laughs> and that's I, that's literally all I know about him. Uh, he's maybe. really, I really like him. And we're not talking Eddie Murphy. Uh, my baby wants to party all the time. Era. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, does Bo Burnham have like a music, a straight up music album? I don't know if you would classify he, that. Does I mean, he do? He does like kind it's of musical music, comedy. Yeah, musical comedy. Yeah, I'm not a lot of wordplay. Jeff and I differ on this. Uh, there's a, I think it's Metalocal, the whatever the cartoon, yeah, picks or whatever. I don't even know what's I, 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 I never saw it. It's like I, I'm just, I, 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 no, I, I'm not into, I'm not into the funny music. <laughs> it's my least. It's probably my least favorite. My worst. My, I think my most hated song of all time 
is probably Monster Mash. I think it is the dumbest, stupidest, goofiest. It just, ugh, I, I can't stand so, uh, comedy rock. What oh, about right. Werewolf Bar Mitzvah? Because it's a joke, but it's a parody. But it's... I don't even know what that is. Oh, what from is... 30 Rock? Oh, uh, I didn't see that episode. But I will tell you that there's a fine line because I love witty, insightful um, – you know, if you come up with a, a line that's funny, I think it's different from a comedy line. So that's people like, like Warren Zevon, Werewolves of London – you know, is an amazing song. Randy Newman, um, Loudon Wainwright Third, Elvis Costello to a certain extent. All of these kind of singer-songwriter guys who, like, know their way around a clever, witty, humorous line, but they're not necessarily, like, trying to make you laugh. And that's – I think that's where I draw the line. I never even never thought of any it. of those songs as uh, funny. But that's uh, that's kind of fair. Well, I, I would I would never say that Werewolves of London is funny, but it's but absurd. It, it, yes, absurd. You know, and it's got a great melody, and I and I love it. I love that's 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 a, I, I love a lot of that. Stuff. So let's uh, gloss over your Oxford collapse years. <laughs> sure, I'm sure you've talked about those in depth, and uh, and I do find them interesting. But can we can you touch upon the uh, the child actors? I feel like you probably have. Sure. I haven't heard you speak about it that much on the podcast. I've heard you on. No, so 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 basically, long story short, after Oxford Collapse broke up, I spent a, a number of years um, trying to kind of pursue comedy writing and doing the podcast and um, taking sketch classes from Jeff Garlock of all people. Uh, so how you guys and, met? Well, no, we well we knew each other through his old band, through Panthers, and Oxford Collapse had a lot of friends in common. We had played together before. We we knew each other from the Brooklyn scene in quotes. And um, when Oxford Collapse broke up, I was living in Austin, Texas with my my now wife who was in grad school then. And uh, when I, we moved back to New York, I, I kind of ran into Jeff in the dog uh, park because we would um, we'd be, both be walking our dogs at the same time. And we'd get together and we'd talk about movies and records and comedy and one thing led to another and I took his class and we did the podcast. Um, at the time, I really wasn't interested in making music music. I was doing a lot of production music stuff, MIDI, um, uh, uh, music for iPhone apps, for short films, things oh, like wow, that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I was, that, I didn't want to give up music, but I wasn't interested in writing lyrics. I wasn't interested in putting a band together. I wasn't interested in practice space, van, all of the rigmarole that comes with yeah, I didn't want a band. Hey, doing uh, music without having to travel is like the dream. Well, well, well basically, what ha- happened is, is is that in my kind of uh, a few years, I still I still kind of wound up with bits and pieces of of sort of pop songs and like, oh, I could do something with this at some point down the line. Um, and but I was you know concentrating on the podcast. I was concentrating on a whole bunch of things. Um, but I started to eventually piece together demos for for these new you know kind of quote-unquote rock songs but i didn't really have an outlet for them and i i I, shortly after i had moved back to new york which was about 2011 moved back to brooklyn um i ran into an old friend of mine named matt lemay matt was um the the had had a great band called get him eat him uh actually all those guys went to brown um oh no way that's yeah yeah the city i'm located in there you go yeah so so um uh, and Matt was just um, a really smart guy uh, and had gotten very good at engineering and producing records. I ran into him 
Uh, and he said, look, if you're working on anything, you know, let me know. Well, I'd love to do something together. So I wound up doing two songs with him. This is in 2012 um, that we just recorded essentially in his bedroom. I would or, you know, I'd use um, I use GarageBand and their their organ sounds to put some of my, tra- you know, the organ tracks together. Matt re- played some drums on it and we just put it out digitally and I sent it around to some friends and got a very a little bit of press and. We really liked working together, and I was getting inspired, and I started kind of compiling a bunch of songs based on you know older demos or things that I had sort of laying around that I'd recorded scraps of here and there. And it was great because it was – I knew really in my heart of hearts that it wasn't going to be a touring band the way Oxford Collapse was. So I could do it. At my own pace, no pun intended. So, so there you go. So we took about three years, Matt and I, to record these songs very leisurely. We get together, you know, every couple of months, and we we'd record, and he'd mix it, and and I was really happy. And I had time to sit on the songs and and listen to them. And okay, uh, maybe I'm not too happy with the vocal here. I'll re-record the vocal. It wasn't like my previous experience was like you go into a studio for a finite period of time and you hash it out. Um, and so we decided to make an album, which uh, we did. Took about three years, and and I put it out at the beginning of this year. I assembled a band to play a record release show. It went great. It was it was awesome. We played a bunch of covers. We played most of the songs on the record. They were all friends of mine. Matt played drums, and um, uh, a bunch of my other friends also helped me out. But just putting that together and renting out the practice space and coordinating everyone's schedules. And at this point, our bass player had two kids and my wife was pregnant. So I knew that this was only oh, going to be sort of a, thank you. Thank you. Uh, this was only gonna be a short time thing. So we played one show and it was really great. I played a couple of acoustic shows, um, just to warm up. And, and I'm actually looking to, to start doing that again. I pressed 300 copies of it on vinyl. Um, uh, you know, I, I put it out in January. I made a couple of videos. Uh, Jeff's in one of them, actually. Um, that turned out really great. It's really funny. Um, I had friends of mine from the comedy world, kind of, you know, uh, my friend Andy Beckerman, um, uh, who does a great podcast called Beginnings. Um, I actually listened to you on that yeah. podcast. So, so Andy directed a video for, for uh, the child a actor song. That's podcast as well, by the way. I, oh, great. I, yeah. I've been kind of hooked on a lot of those. I just, Andy's, yeah, that's a great Andy's show. the guy that, that, um, we met through doing the podcast and we just, Andy's from Pittsburgh and he's a comedy guy, but he also knows his music. And yeah. so Jeff and I both kind of became good friends with him over time. And, and when it came time to make this video or a video, Andy's like, let me, let me, um, pitch something to you and i love the idea and he wrote out a treatment and jeff started it and um they're all up on youtube you go to mike pace and the child actors and and you can find all that stuff and and so you know play the show then then my son was born a couple of weeks later and and stuff with my job was taken off and like i was like cool okay so i'm gonna have this 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 is gonna be my musical outlet it's gonna be sort of a quote-unquote studio project um you know, I could use some of my connections from from the Oxford Collapse days. I had uh, one of the child actor songs got a placement on an MTV show, Awkward. Um, you know, like I've, heard I've that's actually some, a good show. I've heard that too. I, I should check it out someday. Um, you know, I uh, 
you know, I've, I've, I've been able to get some decent press and I, I just put out two new songs, um, about a month and a half ago. I just released them on Bandcamp and SoundCloud and made them free downloads. And, and I think that's just the way I'm going to do it from now on is because I don't need to make money from music anymore these days. And to my chagrin, I think, you know, the culture of the album has has slowed down and people people absorb songs you know uh, a playlist at a time so there's no reason for me not to just yeah i'll make two songs and when they're done i'll just put them out and oh, that's awesome they're gonna, they're gonna be people that'll that'll dig them and, and maybe some other people will find them and, and that's just it so that's that's kind of the the it took me a while to figure that out because at one point i was like ah, maybe i should put a band together and see if maybe do a tour or something and but I was like, look, you know, I'm in a different place in my life right now. Like, uh, and music is always going to be there. That's the thing that I realized is that, like, regardless of the um, the intensity uh, in which you do it, it's always going to be there if it's if it's a passion of yours. So I'm always going to be doing some kind of music. You know, if it wasn't the band, it was making music for apps and for video games and for short films. And if it wasn't that, it was putting together the the podcast and making the music for that and editing the episodes. I love working with kind of music and audio, and that's what I do in my day job too. So so I consider myself very lucky that I have a number of different outlets to be creative. Um, you know, and the child actors happens to be the the latest musical uh endeavor. Um but I, I'm 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 kind of psyched on it just being a studio project because then I could just go nuts and record my meatloaf esque you know uh, tracks that are layers and layers and whatever and I wouldn't be able to pull them off live if I tried you know that kind of thing so you know sky's the limit. Will we see any meatloaf covers after this conversation? <laughs> I don't I don't know but I haven't had dinner yet so I think meatloaf is on the agenda that's for sure. <laughs> oh my goodness! How does one get in the racket of doing like music for apps and stuff? Well, that was that was an interesting case because at the time I was living in Austin, um, my band had actually broken up. Um, I didn't have a job. I didn't really know anyone there. My wife was in grad school, um, so she had her circle of friends. I had just turned 30 at the time, so I was kind of – all of these things sort of happened at once, and I had a lot of time on my hands. Um, and uh, I was teaching myself – how to you know MIDI, which is essentially getting a special keyboard. You hook it up to your computer, and then you can make music using GarageBand or I use Reason or you know any one of these you know DAWs or digital audio workstations. Um, and at the time, I had a friend of mine in New York who I used to work with, who was starting an app company, and this is 2009. And he said he was telling me about. It. He said, "Look, I'm making all these like little time waster games," and I said, "Well." I'm teaching myself how to like make essentially computer music. So let me do the music and sound effects for your apps and, you know, we'll see, we'll take it from there. And one of the apps that he had made actually took off and started selling and I started to see some money from it. Wow. I was I was like, "Oh shit, I should probably like consider doing this." And my wife was in school for film and video, so there were a number of people in her program that needed music or some you know some kind of sound for their short films. So I sort of had a couple of outlets to get into, you know, quote unquote commercial music. Uh and then when I so 
unfortunately it, it never became as consistent as I wanted it to. Um, it was freelance work, you know, and, and I had a couple of, uh, a couple of clients, but nothing that was, you know, steady enough where I could live off it. And I wound up when we moved back to New York, I got a job for a startup, um, uh, a media company that, uh, needed someone to curate user generated music and sound effects, essentially for a media marketplace where you could buy video footage if you needed, you could buy or you could license technically video or mm. music or sound effects or photos. And I, be- I became their audio guy. And over the years, that company has done quite well, and I've become it's Google. The, 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 yeah, and and that company is Microsoft. Um, <laughs> so maybe it hasn't done that well. So so I've been able to kind of stay in that world in my occupation, uh, as well as my avocation. You know? Oh, that's so cool! So you can take your passion and actually make money from it. Yeah, which yeah, is, it's not uh, too, rare. Not too bad. Not too shabby. That's very very rare. <laughs> well, look at that. Oh, man. Rare breed. Thank you so much for coming on. This is such a treat. No, Chris, I, I, I uh, always love the opportunity to get in front of a microphone and spout uh, my wisdom. <laughs> oh, well, I, I'm going to botch get home safe again. So I'm not even I, I, I can already tell you are hesitating. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a comedian. <laughs> I, I know that. So listen, Chris, it's been a real pleasure um, to be a guest on the show. And you know, I just have three words for you. And they're three little words. They're single syllable, in fact. But I'm going to stretch them out just a little bit because, because I think you'll appreciate. So, look, I'm at my home. I don't know where the hell you are. You could be in a studio somewhere driving. You got to drive home after this. You could be at your dad's college radio show. I don't know. All I know is that I want you to get home safe.